Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Greetings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on this Holy Trinity Sunday. It's the Sunday in which we start the second half of the church year. The first half of the church year, beginning in Advent, culminating in Pentecost, walks through the expectation, the incarnation, the ministry, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And now we begin the second half of the church year, from Holy Trinity Sunday to Christ the King Sunday, in which we walk in the ministry and the life of the church, the ongoing ministry of Christ from Pentecost until the day of glory when Christ comes again. And so, on this feast day, in which we celebrate one of the great mysteries, the foundational mystery of the Christian faith, the nature of 
the triune God. We also read one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in all the Gospels. And we celebrate the patronymic of this parish, the day which our parish is named for. So let's look briefly at each. First, we'll start with the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And every time we start to think about the mysteries of God, I'm reminded of Jacob. Jacob coming back from his servitude under Laban, coming back to reconcile with Esau, sends all his possessions, his family across the river, and he stays that night, and he wrestles with God. He wrestles and he clings to God and will not let go and says, I will not let go until you bless me. In this, Jacob receives several things. One, God touches his hip and is put out of joint. He walks for a limp with a limp for the rest of his life. Jacob receives a new name. He is no longer Jacob the trickster. He is now Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And Jacob reminds us of the danger of coming face to face with God. He names that place Peniel, the face of God, and he says, I name it this because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. To come face to face with the living God is an awesome and terrifying thing, and yet is the glory to which we are invited through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We remember that in this wrestling when we wrestle with the mysteries of God, we are always but one step away from heresy. If we squeeze the mystery too hard, there is no life left in it. And so we hold the mysteries of God loosely, allowing God to reveal himself to us. In this wrestling with the mystery of the Holy Trinity, we have a guide in the creeds of the church. We say the Apostles' Creed, we say the Nicene Creed that affirm the Trinitarian nature of God. And yet it's the Athanasian Creed that really digs deeply into the character and nature of the Trinity. And this creed gives us this way of looking at the Trinity. The Catholic faith is this. The faith that is for all time and for all people is this. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Trinitarian error, Trinitarian heresy comes in when we try to either divide the oneness of God too much such that we have three gods. Or on the other hand, when we ignore the distinctness of each person to the degree that we think of one person with three roles, neither is true. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. So how can the three be one? How can the three persons be one God? Two Greek words help us with this. One is perichoresis and the other is kenosis. Perichoresis, the dance around, the divine dance, the movement of the Trinity such that the three persons are always in motion, such that they appear as one. I think of this like the little color wheels that I made as a child. You take the circle of paper and you divide it into three things, you color each one three different colors. 
distinct, separate colors divided by a black line. And you put a string through it and you pull on the string and the circle moves. And it moves so fast that you see a new color emerge. And yet, if you blink your eyes really quickly, you see each of the colors distinctly. The perichoresis, the divine dance around, the way that three move together as one. The other word is kenosis, the self-emptying, the self-donating. Within the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity are always giving fully of themselves and receiving fully of the other. The Father empties himself into the Son and into the Spirit. The Spirit and the Son receive fully from the Father. The Son empties himself into the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Father receive fully from the Son. The Spirit empties himself fully into the Father and the Son, and the Father and the Son receive fully from the Spirit. And such, always pouring into and receiving one another, the three are one. But then how can, how can one be three? To look at this mystery from the other side, the church has taken two ways of approaching this. Neither one are complete, neither one is bad, neither one is good, but together they give us a picture of how this can be. In the Greek-speaking church, of the early church, we had the monarchy of the Father, and the Father ever eternal, eternally begets the Son, and from the Father eternally proceeds the Spirit. We could look at that as the Son and the Spirit of the right and left hand of the Father. The Roman side of the church, the Latin-speaking church, looked at it this way, that the Father eternally begets the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and from this love pouring back and forth between Father and Son is the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit is made manifest in this love eternally and always. And thus the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Both of these are ways of looking sideways at this great mystery of how the one becomes three. They inform, but they do not define. So what should we do with this great mystery? Well, we go where I always go. We go to the prayer book and to the scripture. So our collect today gives us a way of approaching this divine mystery. In our collect, we acknowledge we are servants. The servant does not always know the fullness of what the master is doing. We are servants. And as such, we are given a degree of grace. We are given grace, a free gift, not something that we earn, not something that we figure out, but a grace by which we acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity. By grace, we are able to acknowledge this mystery, to acknowledge its power and its glory, and in the power of this divine majesty, to worship the unity. We could turn to scripture. In the very beginning, in the creation, in the second chapter of Genesis. We hear God speak over the created order, and he says, Now, let us make humanity in our own image. The God who is community seeks to make humanity in our own image. So God gathers the dust together, forms it into the shape of a human, breathes his own breath to give it life. And this man is one 
And we hear in Scripture the first, not good. It is not good for man to be alone. The nature and the character of God is community. And so in one, man cannot image the community of God. And so humanity is divided into male and female, into man and woman, such that there becomes community. And this is that community. The man says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and the two become one flesh. You see in this the character and nature of the triune God. Man, woman, united in the bonds of love, producing children. The triune God in the most basic form of community. We have a greater community. Paul uses this image of marriage to describe the church, both body of Christ and bride of Christ. This mystery by which three are one, by which two are one, is the mystery by which we, all of us, the church throughout the world and the church throughout the ages, are one. We see this Trinitarian revelation in the Gospels. As Christ goes to the River Jordan, as the Son of Man emerges from the water, the Son, the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, the Father speaks from the heavens. This is my Son, my beloved, with him I am well pleased. Again, on the mountaintop, with Peter, James, and John, the Son stands before them in the fullness of his eternal glory and a cloud descends over them all, the cloud of the Holy Spirit. And the Father again speaks from the cloud. This is my Son, my beloved. Listen to him. We see as the risen Christ gathers his followers before him before he ascends into heaven. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Therefore, in all that you do, in all you're going about, make disciples. And this is how you make disciples. Baptize them into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And in doing this, behold, I am with you even to the end of all time. Now, we come to the Gospel of John. And in that great prologue, in that beautiful sound that we hear each Christmas Eve, we see another glimpse of the Trinity in a slightly different way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has ever been made. We see John developing in the character and nature of God, this vision of the noose, the mind, the imagination of the Father, the mind that conceived everything that we see around us and more before it ever was. In this grand imagination of God, it's distilled down into the logos, the word, 
The word that is spoken that affects all of creation, that makes it so. God said, and it was so. The word that creates. But if I think it and I form it into words, it remains with me unless it is spoken and carried on my breath. So the mind, the noose, the father conceives of the word, the logos, the son, and he speaks it and it is carried on his breath, his spirit, the pneuma. Noose, logos, pneuma. The Trinitarian God characterized in creation. So that brings us to our gospel reading today. The third chapter of John. After this great prologue, after Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, he gathers disciples around him. He goes to Canaan at the wedding feast. He turns water into wine. And now a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews named Nicodemus, comes and asks Jesus, who are you? It's the same question that John is trying to answer throughout his gospel. Who is this Jesus? See, John has a problem in communicating Jesus, the Son of God, the very essence of God, the one who is God and is with God, to a culture that says there is but one God. We have this conflict between the great prayer of Israel. Hear, O oh, hear, O oh, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. In this image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, John wrestles with this throughout the gospel. Nicodemus wrestles with this before Jesus. And Jesus responds, not with a direct answer of who he is. Jesus never does that. Instead, he says, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again by water and by spirit. Here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, a man who is confident in his heritage as one of the chosen of God. And Jesus says, your chosenness by flesh means nothing. You must be born again by spirit and by water. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all of my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. See, no longer are the chosen of God the sons of Israel, or even the sons of Abraham. Instead, it is those who are born of the spirit and of water who are the sons of spirit, the sons and daughters of God. That is who we are. And then Jesus throws in this comment about the serpents in the wilderness, in this bronze snake that's lifted up on a pole. He's referring 
to the wandering in the wilderness that we hear in Numbers, and the people grumble and complain about God and about Moses saying, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt? There's no bread, there's no water, and we hate this miserable food, this manna that God gives us, this gift of God that we don't have to work for. We detest even the food of angels. And God sends serpents among them, and many in Israel die, and they come to Moses, and they say, we have sinned against you, and we have sinned against God. Make this go away. And God says to Moses, create, make, craft a serpent of bronze and put it on a tall staff. And whenever anyone is bitten by a snake, they look to it and they will live. And as invariably happens over the next 600 years or so, this symbol of disobedience, judgment, repentance, and salvation becomes for Israel an idol and an object of worship until Hezekiah, in the midst of his faithful reforms, destroys it. The symbol of disobedience, judgment, and repentance, and salvation becomes an object of worship apart from the God it turns their eyes to. Let that sink in for a moment. We also, in this, are introduced to one of the sub-themes in John. You see, in Exodus, as Moses comes before Pharaoh, God is revealed as more powerful than each of the gods of Egypt as the plagues come. In Christ, John reveals the way in which Christ is greater than the pagan gods that surround this fledgling church in Asia Minor. At the wedding feast of Cana, as Jesus turns water into wine, he kicks dirt in the face of Dionysus. And here, with a snake on a stick, he kicks dirt in the face of the other snake on a stick that purportedly brings healing, Asclepius. Jesus, the Christ, the manifestation of the true God on earth, is greater than the pagan gods, then and now. Jesus then compares his own death on the cross to these serpents in the wilderness. A disobedient and rebellious people already condemned to death, already living in death, already choosing death over life, can now turn and look upon Christ and Christ crucified and know life. And so we hear Jesus say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son to condemn the world, for the world is already condemned. Condemned because they do not know God and do not recognize the Son. They do not know life that is before them. The light has come among them, and they love darkness more than light. But yet those who do believe, those who do know the true light and the true life of the world in Christ have everlasting life. And so, as we wrestle with the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of the Christ, what does this mean for a parish called Holy Trinity? First, we are a people who embrace mystery. 
wrestling with that incomprehensible until we receive blessing. We embrace and we wrestle with the sacramental mysteries of baptism and the Eucharist. We wrestle and embrace the mystery of the church as the body and bride of Christ. Second, we are a people who not only wrestle with mystery, but we participate in this mystery in order to encounter truth, in order to see God face to face, in order to have life. Thomas Cranmer puts it this way in his homily on the resurrection. If thou doubtest of so great wealth and felicity that it is wrought for thee, O man, call to thy mind that therefore hast thou received into thine own possession the everlasting verity, our Savior Jesus Christ, to confirm to thy conscience the truth of all this matter. Thou hast received him. If in true faith and repentance of heart thou hast received him, if in purpose of amendment thou hast received him for an everlasting gage or pledge of thy salvation, thou hast received his body which was once broken and his blood which was shed for the remission of thy sin. Thou hast received his body to have within thee the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for to dwell with thee, to endow thee with grace, to strengthen thee against thine enemies, and to comfort thee with their presence. Thou hast received his body to endow thee with everlasting righteousness, to assure thee of everlasting bliss and life of thy soul. In the mystery of the Eucharist, we receive the mystery of God within us, such that he dwells in us and we in him, that we might have we are indeed a people who wrestle with and participate in mystery. And more than that, we are called to be a people that images God in community. We are called to be a canonic, perichoretic community, always giving fully and receiving graciously. Giving fully of ourselves, receiving graciously of one another ever moving to the rhythm of the Trinity. This is the vision of the church in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done. And all who believed were together. All who believed were one and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They gave all that they had according to all that needed. And day by day, attending the temple together, together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, no longer grumbling, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. This is the vision of the church in Ephesus. As Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain 
the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are all called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This vision of community is the vision of the church in Philippi. As Paul writes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is the mind of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the See, this is the vision of the church today. People of all races, kindreds, and nations, all tongues and speech, all ability, all social standing, are one. Are one by the Spirit that makes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit one. We are called to be a church, a church bound together, in one God. And see, this is also the vision of this parish, gathered today here in San Antonio, Texas, gathered on this date, in this point, in this time, gathered in the mighty and glorious name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 